Hi, Eric here with episode one, technically episode two, but episode one of Eric's Mediocre Adventures. Uh, I was going to do another film uh, thing, discussion, I suppose, but uh, I had a friend, one of the ones I was reaching out about possibly co-hosting, and he seemed somewhat interested in doing the film that I had uh, I had thought about doing today. So uh, I'm holding off on that one for now to see if he's going to do it. I'm hoping he does because uh, I think having someone else to bounce off of would be pretty dang neat. But yeah, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to discuss uh, some of my favorite comic book arts slash graphic novels, because sometimes there's some standalone graphic novels that are just aces. But first, we're going to start with a little bit of news that will probably be out of date by the time people listen to this. But anywho, here we go. So, Ant-Man 3... Is supposedly going to start production next summer. Uh, it'll be curious to see if that happens, if it will be pushed back because of other movies in, in the phase being pushed back, or if they're all going to uh, kind of stay at the schedule that they're now being set to, what with the corona. So we're going to see. Um, looking forward to it. The first two Ant-Man movies were enjoyable. Uh, nothing super great, but they're they're always good for, uh, for a laugh and good for some... For some Lost Hours. <laughs> uh, next on the docket, I suppose, uh, DC has, uh, according to comicbook.com, which is a website I regularly go to because it's great, uh, it's considering making an Amazon-based series that will be a spin-off from the, the Wonder Woman films, obviously, uh, presumably to be on the DC app, DC Universe app, uh, but I'm not super sure where that would end up. Uh, I think it could be interesting though if they were to do it, uh, especially if it revolves around Artemis or or maybe uh, Donna Troy. Might not be as likely because of uh, Donna Troy being in Titans, but we'll see. It'd be interesting. At least uh, I am. I am open to it. I liked what we saw at Themyscira in the first Wonder Woman movie and in Justice League, so I'm cool with it. Uh, next, according to IGN, the Fury Road prequel that is in the works, uh, that it was supposed to center around uh, Furiosa, played uh, wonderfully by Charlize Theron in Mad Max Fury Road, uh, is going forward, but Charlize Theron will not be reprising the role. Uh, she's going to be, I guess, not asked back because they're going for a younger Furiosa, and uh, the front runner seems to be Anya Taylor Joy, who people will know from Split. Uh, I believe she's in a movie called The Witch. I've not seen it. Horror movies aren't really my, my shtick. Uh, and she's going to be in uh, New Mutants if that movie ever comes out. But yeah, uh, I mean, I'll see it. I loved Fury Road. I don't really like any of the other Mad Max movies, but Fury Road was great. Uh, I'd rather see a continuation of Fury Road, but I will watch the prequel. And I'm sure I will enjoy it. And uh, in other news, as I'm sure everyone knows at this point, uh, Hamilton, 
has dropped on Disney Plus, and it is doing incredibly well by all accounts. Uh, the few reviews I've seen were mostly glowing. Uh, the only negative in some of the reviews I saw were mentions that the filming was not done perfectly, and some of the uh, some of the stage presence and acting was lost in the way they filmed it, but. I still think it, it captured the play quite well, and, and most most other reviewers seem to seem to agree from what I could see. I'm curious to see what this would mean for Hamilton, though, if it will lead to like a main cast revival uh, of the show, if we reach a point where like Broadway is to continue uh, once COVID starts to, to back off, uh, or if this serves as more of a closing for Hamilton, where we won't even really see it continue at all. Uh, or maybe it'll just continue as it has been with the new cast and everything. Who knows? And in other news, sports news, because we're very sporty, uh, UFC 251 set to take place this weekend from Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. I believe it's in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, seems right. Uh, anyway, uh, Jorge Masvidal, a.k.a. Street Jesus, has uh, stepped in on six days' notice. We're two days away now when I'm recording, but when he stepped in, it was on six days' notice uh, to fight the welterweight champion Kamara Usman. Or Kamara Usman. I apologize for, for probably mispronouncing that. Uh, for the welterweight title, of course. It's a title opportunity that I think that many feel has been long-earned. So I'm looking forward to seeing it and hoping these six days does not hurt him, uh, as I am quite a fan of Masvidal, and I would like to see him win. <laughs> Uh, on this card, we also have a uh, rematch between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway for the 145 title belt. Uh, the first fight was an exciting fight, but it was ultimately mostly one-sided, I felt, watching it. Uh, it was pretty clear that Alex won, and then he won decisively. But uh, I'm very interested to see how Max Holloway comes back, because every time he comes back, he's always a little better. So I'm, I'm open to seeing them, them go at it again, and maybe Max will get the win this time, but I'm leaning more towards Volkanovski to retain uh, again. And the third title fight, yes, three, on this card at Fight Island is a fight for the vacant 135-pound belt between Jose Aldo and Peter Jan. Uh, to be completely frank, I don't know much about Peter Jan. Uh, never heard of him before this point. Obviously, heard of Jose Aldo, who is great. Uh, I don't really know how this one's going to go. Uh, Jose looked good at 135. I think he won that fight that he had against uh, Marlon Reyes. I believe it was against Marlon Reyes. Uh, I thought he should have gotten the decision. He did not. But uh, with Henry Zahudo dropping the belts, vacating it, uh, this is a fight as good as any to see who's going to get the belt. And then I think Algernon Sterling should be next either way, regardless of who wins. But anyway... It looks like it's going to be a great card. We also have Thug Rose fighting and uh, Paige Van Zandt. I don't know if they're on the main card or not. I'm assuming Thug Rose is. I don't know if, if Paige is, but uh, it's going to be a card to look forward to, I'm sure. And uh, we also, in more sports news, uh, NBA seems to be rolling on, despite uh, the multiple positive tests uh, that they got, I believe, last week. It seems that they're... I read an article about them considering making a second bubble to kind of separate people even more, but it seems we're still set to go and begin um, at the end of this month to finish off the rest of this season. Uh, if I had to make a prediction now, I think we're either going to see 
uh, the Lakers pull off the title or we're going to see a Raptors repeat. That is my prediction. In other news, uh, a little bit spitfire, there's a new Spongebob game out. It came out either end of June or early July. I cannot recall. Uh, end of June. Yeah. Eh. Not for me, but I'm sure people love it. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is getting ready to play Hulk Hogan, I guess, in a biopic. So, alright. And uh, the world is still, for the most part, in the dumps. But enough of the news, and let's get on to the comic book discussions. So I will preface this by saying um, there are a lot of comic books I cannot remember. I spent a few hours today and a few hours yesterday just trying to write down my thoughts and, and recall the, the comic books that I love and the graphic novels I love, but I've read so many at this point that they all kind of blur together <laughs> as I try to like bring them forth so it this is more of a on the spot uh, list and it's just some of my favorites as I said because I can't remember all of them right now but the first one we're going to start with is the one that really got me into comics uh, as a kid I had read some comics beforehand, of course, as I'm sure many kids did growing up at this time when we were living in the age of all the movies beginning to come out. We had the Spider-Man trilogy, the X-Men trilogy, Fantastic Four, Poopers, uh, Batman trilogy. We had the older Batmans. We had the Superman Returns, yada, 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 Blade, all that stuff. So comics were kind of, kind of the huge, I would think. But I really owned a few random issues. That had been gifted to me or that I had gotten on a whim like coming across a comic book store or seeing like a cover in a, when I was at the bookstore that I liked and grabbing it like I, I wasn't really collecting and uh, this book was the first time that I started a series and I read through it all and when I really started collecting and uh, it was in 2007 we were moving houses uh, my dad was retiring from the military and uh, we were moving uh, we were staying in the same province and everything but we were just located to a different house downsizing a bit and uh during the move we were staying in a hotel for a couple of weeks uh in Fredericton where I live and every day my mom would give me uh and my brother some money for food to for breakfast and, and lunch because she was still working and it was just us at the hotel uh so one day I had my money and I was wandering around trying to figure out what I wanted to eat for lunch, and I happened upon the comic book store, uh, which I didn't, like, I knew about, I knew it was there, but I hadn't really gone there much, because I, while we lived near Fredericton, we didn't really live in Fredericton, and I didn't spend a lot of time in that area, but I went in, and uh, I can't really remember what led me to it, but I know that I was a huge fan of Smallville at the time, and I really liked Bart Allen, who had shown up in uh, season four and was Impulse in the show for the rest of it and in the comic books after. He never really took on the Flash name, but he was he was essentially the, the Flash of, of Smallville. And uh, so I bought the first issue of the series The Flash, Fastest Man Alive. And in that series, Bart Allen has been uh, aged up 
rather quickly from the teenager to a, to a young adult. And uh, he is acting as the Flash as Wally West is no longer flashing, I guess. And Barry's still dead at this point. Anyways, <laughs> I was hooked from the first issue. Uh, I, like, I loved Bart in the show. And from random Google searches and stuff that I had done just from Smallville and based on my own interests, I just really liked it. And I really liked him. So I kept... I kept going back every day that I would get my money and I would spend, I, I believe she gave us $20 for the breakfast and lunch, if I remember correctly, and I would spend $15 of the dollars on comic books and the other five on just enough food to eat. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. Sorry, mom. <laughs> yeah, so I'd go every day. Uh, I would get some comic books. And I ultimately ended up buying every issue of the uh, the Bart Allen series, and I loved it. And uh, this series led to me buying older Flash comics, so I got stuff from the Wally West run, uh, and I branched even further into other series from there. So, like, as someone who knew next to nothing about the Flash at this point, beyond what I learned from things like the Justice League cartoon, uh, Smallville, and then obviously the random Google searches. This book was, was pretty eye-opening to me. Uh, it had, like, everything you want in a comic book series, and yet ended in such a, like, a, a heart-wrenching, painful way that left me, like, quite sad. <laughs> but still kept me interested enough in comics that I wanted to keep going. Uh, the series ends, spoiler alert, but not really, because it's now, like, three continuities away. Uh with Bart Allen being killed, and, and we learn that uh, his body was rapidly aging, so even if he wasn't killed, he would have died uh, very soon after this. And uh, Bart eventually does return, but uh, he never really quite reaches the heights that he had in this series, I think. Uh, when he returns, he returns as Kid Flash, and then he ultimately was uh, wiped out by the Flashpoint Paradox series. Uh, a version of him existed in early New 52, but he wasn't really Bart Allen. He was just someone based off of Bart Allen. And then eventually, normal Bart Allen returned uh, in 2018 as Impulse, which was his first uh, like superhero alias when he was first introduced. And uh, he's been in the new Young Justice book, um, which I think was obviously brought back due to the success of the show and the re-success of the show uh, with the third season. I've only really read the first seven or eight issues of it, but it has been quite enjoyable, and I, I do like seeing uh, all of them back together. Tim Drake, uh, Connor, Bart, all of them. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. But I do hope someday to see Bart Allen uh, get his due as the Flash again, uh, as I feel like he's incredibly underrated and often forgotten as a Flash. Like usually when people talk about how many Flashes there are, they say there's three when... In reality, there is four, and uh, Bart is, I think, is, is an important one. Maybe we'll see it in the Young Justice TV series if it continues far enough into the future to the point where we, uh, where Barry retires and, and Bart takes over, but who knows if we'll ever get that far. But yeah, ultimately, uh, the F Flash the Fast Man Alive series is fairly well contained, and it consists of just a very gripping 13 issues 
so it's easy to pick up and read through it and not feel overwhelmed. Uh, there is some confusion, of course, if you go in not knowing much about The Flash. Like, I went in knowing so little that obviously I was confused and I had to do some research to, like, answer some questions. But there was enough in the series itself as I read it that it didn't matter to me that I was confused. Like, I still just enjoyed it at such a high level. And it's, I still have all 13 issues in, in one of my long boxes in, in my room. Uh, and I've read it probably three or four times in full since then, at least. And it's just something I, like, I really like. I really enjoy the series. And I did re I would recommend it to anyone who is a fan of The Flash. And even just, if you just enjoy a good old comic book story. Next on my list is Captain America Winter Soldier from uh, Volume 5 of Captain America by Ed B. Baker, and subsequently with it, Bucky's entire run as Captain America. Um, I unabashedly love Bucky Barnes. Now, to be fair, my very first introduction to him was as the Winter Soldier. Like, I never read anything of him pre-death where he was the sidekick, so I don't know if people who read that felt differently. But the entire story arc of the Winter Soldier and then the reluctant Captain America taking on the role out of loyalty to his friend and to try to, like, get recompense for the stuff that he had done is just beautiful. I love it. It is an incredibly written story paired with amazing art that just works so well. And it, like, it, it's like a natural progression to bring him back that close to when when steve rogers uh quote unquote dies and, and you have someone there to take on the role to take on the mantle again just like with the with the flash there was some confusion for me because this is where i hopped on to captain america this is where i started uh the first issue i had read was an issue where steve rogers was already dead and i believe uh it was the one where bucky was just beginning to become captain america after civil war i think it was um it was the one after he steals the shield from Tony, if I remember correctly. Uh, but from there, I, I was like, I was intrigued. So I, I went backwards, and I looked at, at things on Google and Wikipedia, etc., to, to catch myself up. And uh, I was able to catch up pretty quickly from there. Um, but as is often the case in the comic books, unless your name is Ben Parker, uh, the dead didn't stay dead. Steve Rogers returned, and uh, eventually the mantle of Captain America went back to him. And it, even though it felt like Bucky was really hitting his stride at that point as Cap, uh, they they did something in the story where he was being uh, punished and, and disliked for his crimes as the Winter Soldier, because a lot of it had come out. And so he faked his death and then went back to being the Winter Soldier. Uh, and for the most part, don't get me wrong, he had some fairly entertaining series that followed that uh he had a series i believe that andrew baker also did where he was with black widow and they went to like russia and things and were in were investigating the red room etc and uh he had some other series later uh in like the marvel now with falcon captain captain america falcon and stuff like that uh so he, he's always been around since then it's just 
it's never been quite as good as this was as his run as Captain America was and his and his uh, reintroduction of the Winter Soldier uh, this storyline it remains one of my favorite comic book storylines ever it's very likely in the top three of Marvel storylines for me and it is the basis of uh, my favorite Marvel movie uh, which would be Captain America the Winter Soldier <laughs> I would I would say it's even it, it's it's very possibly my favorite comic book movie up there with um, Into the Spider Verse and, and Man of Steel, uh, which are the three that I really really love. But yeah, Winter Soldier is just tippity top. I think it's a it's a good jumping on point because because of the MCU, a lot of people are familiar with it enough now that they could hop on at the very first issue of Volume Five. Captain America and just read through that and they would kind of understand and know what's going on and I think they would be able to, to follow it fairly well next up is Batman's arc under the hood uh, very similarly to Bucky Barnes I hold a lot of love for Jason Todd I knew about Jason Todd uh, as the Robin who had died just from my own general Batman research that I would do, uh, which sounds way nerdier than I thought it would. Um, but yeah, like I would just I would just go on deep dives into into like the history and stuff of characters. So a lot of the time, even if I wasn't reading the comics, I knew a lot of what was going on, uh, and I liked I liked him quite a bit from just from that. And I didn't really get why so many people hated him. Uh, I get why people didn't like his like initial character which was the where he was just a like a dick grayson copy but they brought him away from that and he became something more and uh i hadn't read a lot of things with him but i had read some things so i had read the uh teen titans comic where he comes back to go after tim drake and the uh and like the memorial hall if i remember and then uh I remember him in, in the incredible Grant Morrison Batman and Robin run, uh, where he's teamed up with Scarlet. But I didn't really grow to love him as a character until 2010, when I saw the animated film uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. I loved it before I even saw it, because it had Jensen Ackles in it, and, and I love Jensen Ackles. Uh, like a big, big old Supernatural fan, so I went into it already loving it but then i was so captivated by the movie itself and the story in it that it made me go backwards and read everything i could get my hands on that had jason todd in it so i read like the the nightwing one year later arc where he pretends to be nightwing to mess with dick uh i read the green arrow issues where he's uh messing with green arrow and blockbuster uh, i read batman hush because uh that was like the first hint of him coming back and then of course i read the Incredible Under the Red Hood Run by Judd Winnick, which is what the the film itself is based on. And uh, this arc in the comics, as well as the Grant Morrison Batman Robin Run, which I will talk about a little bit more later, but, uh, was the starting point for me to really get deep into the Batman family, uh, to the point where I have now, I've read the entire Nightwing run, so I've read every issue of Nightwing there's been, up until, like, uh, up until the new 52 when it when they changed the comic to grace and i've not read anything really since then other than some scattered issues but i read all of that i read the entire robin run 
uh, up until the new 52. I read the entire Batgirl run, uh, both of the Cassandra Kane volumes, and then the Stephanie Brown stuff, and most of the Barbara Gordon stuff for the new 52. Uh, the Red Robin series, loved all of that, and then I've read pretty much every Batman issue since 2003 uh, in Detective Comics and Batman, all the like the, the limited series for the most part I've read, other than the other than the graphic novels like the standalone ones, I think I've read most of the things, and uh, that's mostly because of uh, Under the Red Hood and the Grant Morrison run, which I want to briefly talk about. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. But uh, as a kid, I never really knew there was multiple Robins. Like, to me, there was Dick Grayson, and that was pretty much it. Like, even though I, I did watch the Batman animated series, and I logically knew that Tim Drake was a thing, because he becomes a thing in that, uh, it never really registered for me as a kid that, that there was anything beyond Dick Grayson. Like, it was, it was just Robin. And uh, suffice, suffice it to say, I really liked Dick Grayson. Uh, as a kid, I thought he was cool in Batman Forever. I don't now, obviously. Uh, and, in, and then in Teen Titans, I thought he was great. <laughs> and then as a teen, I learned that he became Nightwing, uh, like a hero in his own right. And I thought that was really cool, too. But I still didn't really get into much of the Batman stuff until I went to the comic book store. One of the days, uh, it would have been a few years after the hotel adventures in 2007 and i learned from the guys working there that dick grayson became batman and that his robin was bruce wayne's son and i was immediately hooked i got i think i bought the first four like issues a back issue of the of the the run of batman and robin and it just happened to coincide uh pretty closely with me seeing the red hood film so it it just helped me want to know so much more and uh, from this and from the Red Hood, I tracked down like the Batman and Son arc, which introduced Damian Wayne. Uh, I read the Resurrection of Ra's al Ghul storyline, which became one of my favorites uh, because it just had so much of the Batman family in it. And I branched out even further from there, as I mentioned earlier, to all the other stuff. But the Batman and Robin run, it was just so interesting and it was fresh. And I know like it was not fresh for me at the time, of course, because uh, I hadn't read much Batman, but I recognized after the fact, like now, reading it and having read everything else, it is such a fresh take because it's it's like a paradigm shift. It's the instead of the serious Batman and the fun Robin, it's a funner Batman with a very serious Robin, uh, with the fun Batman trying to make the Robin have more fun. It's great, and uh, of course, as as we saw with. Uh, with Bucky and Captain America, we sadly saw a return to the status quo, um, which too soon, which was too soon, I felt, uh, when they resurrected Bruce Wayne, uh, resurrected again, air quotes, because he wasn't dead, and we got the not-so-great Batman Incorporated series, and then the New 52, uh, and uh, Dick Grayson uh, stopped being Batman pretty quickly into the Batman Incorporated series, and then he returned to being Nightwing in the New 52. But yeah, this run, uh, this Batman and Robin run with Grant Morrison, I feel, is, is a high point in Batman lore, and one people should uh, read if they enjoy Batman. And if they're going to read this, I really think they should uh, read the Battle for the Cowl series, because it's you get to see why each of the Robins think they should be Batman, 
after Bruce Wayne dies, and they've all kind of got like decentish reasons. And you see Dick, who's the one who doesn't really want to be Batman, is the one who realizes that like he kind of has to do it, and it's it's aces. So next on the list is uh, back to Marvel, is uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. I, I won't narrow it down. It's all of it, <laughs> all of Ultimate Spider-Man. And then I also added on Ultimate X-Men, but with a caveat, which I will get to. But I had read uh, before this. I'd read a few Spider-Man comics here and there, and I'd read some X-Men comics over the years. But I didn't really get too deep because at the time, like I had said earlier, I wasn't really buying comics and I preferred the movies. I was young, leave me alone. It's just the movies at the time were better for me. And uh, then as I got older and I was actually reading comic books and collecting them, uh, I was mostly collecting DC because jumping on to Marvel at that, at that point was really daunting. Like there was just so much. There was so much Spider-Man. There was so much X-Men. And it was hard to find a point that you could jump on in to really get going. I later learned that there was that uh, that there was that jumping point for Spider-Man, which was a new day, and there was kind of that jumping point with X-Men after uh, House of M. But at the time, I didn't really know about that. Anyway, uh, so when I learned about the Ultimate line of comic books and that these were books where they were starting the canon fresh. In a new way uh, with Spider-Man, with the X-Men, with all of it, I like I had to check them out. So I went and I got I got the Spider-Man stuff. I started there, and uh, it was through Spider-Man I learned about the Ultimate X-Men, and then the Ultimates and so on. And uh, yeah, I kind of just branched out from there further. If I remember correctly, by the time I actually started reading the Ultimate line, I believe Ultimatum had just happened. Uh, Ultimatum is a mess of its own. What essentially what that was was uh, the, the, I believe the sales and stuff were dropping for the ultimate, and they wanted to kind of refresh it. So they did a big like world-ending thing. A lot of people died. Big change, status quo, so that they could like reboost a lot of the books, like re reboot them, restart them, and get going. Uh, yeah, I started there. So that was a like almost 10 years into the Ultimate stuff, so there was still a lot to read. But there was a lot less than there was in the 616 continuity. So I, I started at the beginning, and uh, started with Ultimate Spider-Man number one, and I since read all of them. Um, <laughs> I loved Ultimate Spider-Man. It was uh, familiar to me, yet it was new. Like, it did things that I knew were coming, like the death of Uncle Ben. Uh, the Venom suit, Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin, like all these things and stuff I knew. But then there was also so much stuff that uh, had twists and turns and it was still exciting. And they wrote the things that we even knew in different ways so that it kept people, uh, it kept people, I guess, out of the loop, for lack of a better word. Like it kept you, it kept you guessing. Uh, and eventually we got to a point with Ultimate Spider-Man where they did the death of Peter Parker storyline in 2014 uh, and I cried a whole lot. <laughs> uh, Peter Parker died fighting uh, the Green Goblin who also died, maybe, unclear. 
and I thought that that was going to be like the end of it. Like that for me that I was going to be done with Ultimate Spider-Man because at that point I had uh, gotten brave enough to to jump into the six one six continuity and, and had gotten myself quite familiar with it at that point. So the blow wasn't quite as bad. And then we got the joy from it. That is Miles Morales, uh, which is also an incredible series of its own uh, before he joined the 616 continuity. So I, I was okay with it ending. Uh, I knew a lot of people didn't like Ultimate, the Ultimate storylines, and I knew it was, it was kind of time. Uh, but, but for me, Ultimate Spider-Man just means a lot, and it's one of my favorite because it was my jumping off point into Marvel. Uh, because before that, I had never really gone past Captain America. My knowledge of comics, of the comic stuff, was just Captain America. Everything else was from the movies or from the internet. Like, uh, I just, I just didn't really know much. And so this was the the beginning for me. And then after this, I went into the other Ultimate books uh, and had the courage to go into the Six One Six continuity, and very happily have done that since. Um, but yeah, the Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, all 133 issues of the original volume before Ultimatum, still remain some of my favorite comic books to go back to uh, whenever I feel like reading them. The Ultimate comic stuff uh, after Ultimatum is less good, but it is it's still fun. Uh, Ultimate X-Men, on the other hand, uh, was more complicated, which is why I gave it a caveat. I would say that I ultimately like it. <laughs> See what we do there? Ultimate puns. Uh, but yeah, it introduced me to X-Men in a new way that was different than the films and different from uh, X-Men Evolution, which was a great show, by the way. If you've never seen it, go watch it. It's a lot of fun. But uh, I remember it being really weird. Like, it was it was really weird. Like, Wolverine was creepy, hitting on, like, a bunch of teenage girls and stuff. Professor X was creepy, and he had, like, this weird, like, one-sided romance with Jean. Uh, Magneto's kids were clearly born again. Uh Magneto was more, I felt, of an overt villain in the Ultimate X-Men than he was a complicated character, which is like the, the complicated character we get in uh, the films. And 616, he's, he's a little bit more of a villain than a complicated character, but he was not as far to one side as he is, I think, in the Ultimate Universe. And, uh, and I think that hurt a little bit, but then it also took a dipping quality uh, near the end of the 2000s. Even before Ultimatum, like Spider-Man was the only one that really stayed super strong, and the rest kind of started to, to dip. X-Men among them, but I have to give it props here, just because it led me uh, once again to the main continuity, which is a big yay. Like, because uh, I've read a lot of X-Men stuff since then in the Six One Six, and I really liked it. Uh, it's some of it is hit or miss a lot of the time. Like, it's not all gems, and there's nothing like that really stands out for me in X-Men as being like my favorite, but uh, I've enjoyed a lot of what I've read, so yeah. Uh, but I don't really want to devote my time to the Ultimate X-Men anymore, because it's not a favorite, so I'm just going to move on from it. The next one on my list here was the series The Spider-Men, or it might just be Spider-Men. Anyways, uh, Spider-Man was a five-issue miniseries that came out in 2012, and it was a crossover between uh, 616 Spider-Man and the ultimate uh, Spider-Man, Miles Morales. So what happens in that, essentially, is Mysterio 
has a thing, a glowy purple wormhole thingy, and uh, Spider-Man goes through it, and he falls through the rift that was created by it, and he ends up in the Ultimate Universe uh, at a point where Peter's already dead. Uh, so we got Miles hanging around, and they join up together to, you know, do the fighty fights, and, you know, and uh, we get a lot of uh, little things that you saw in, into the Spider-Verse, like Peter seeing, going to see May and Gwen, um, getting to see uh, Mary Jane learning about some of the differences and stuff. And it's just so fun, the back and forth that we have between Miles and Peter, uh, learning about like the differences between them you get to you get to see the the funness of the uh, of the banter and uh then there's also a sequel to it that comes later that's less good but still a lot of fun uh, and, and it's just the beginning the little steps little steps to it i think that show that um we could exist in a in a single continuity where they're both there where we have peter parker and miles morales and, and that it would be okay which is where we are now and guess what it's okay <laughs> it's very okay yeah that's why i really like that there's not really much to say i mean it's it's a short five issues like it's there's not a lot to it but it's still super goods super super goods all right next on my list here is green arrow volume four titled the kill machine and this is from the New 52, uh, and it came out, I believe, in 2016, maybe? I wasn't going to mention the year, because I didn't know it, and then for some reason I did. <laughs> 2014. Okay, 2014. So, yeah, uh, just a brief rundown. Green Arrow in the New 52, uh, before this, while not being completely disappointing, was not great. Uh, until this run began, and then I think it became one of the better books in the New 52. Uh, it was written by Jeff Lemire, and the art is beautifully done by Andrea Sorrentino, who is the artist also behind uh, Old Man Logan series, which is just also incredible. Um, it's beautiful art. It looks great, and it's like it's not real. It's not super realistic, but it's still still good. Uh, and this is the first of the volumes where we see more of a switch from a super tech newsy green arrow uh, as he was in the first three volumes because he's got his like fancy company to a more down and dirty back to basics green arrow who's just like about doing good things and a little bit of violence like <laughs> but yeah in this issue you see the uh introduction of, of komodo who is a who's a pretty cool villain that we get and we um we really get the beginning of uh, what becomes the Outsiders' War, which is uh, encompasses pretty much Volume Four, Five, and Six of the uh, of the Green Arrow run, and uh, I think all of that is worth reading. I just wanted to single out uh, the Kill Machine because it's really where it starts and it picks up. Uh, what follows Volume Six on is still enjoyable, but it's a lot less so. As we get like uh, one of the writers of the Flash, I think, or Arrow takes over Green Arrow and he brings in a lot of the Arrow characters, which I'm fine with. But he does it in like a way that's just so different from the tone that Jeff Lemire had, um, and then it it just doesn't stay very good until uh, Rebirth 
happens. Uh, another one of the big world changing events. And uh, Green Arrow gets paired with Black Canary and it starts to thrive again. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend reading these three volumes, starting at four, uh, even if you just have an interest in art, because it's so nice. Um, the story within it is also great. Next up, we have Batman Hush, which I mentioned previously in the Under the Red Hood, or Under the Hood area. Uh, Batman Hush is an amazing story by Jeff Loeb, and it contains incredible art by Jim Lee. Those two things alone are almost enough for me to just recommend this story for you to go get it and read it. But uh, this story also has it all. It's got romance, mystery, thrills, Superman, Batman being OP. We get a new villain. We get to see a lot of the old villains we love. We get throwbacks to Jason Todd, because uh, at this point in the story, he hadn't come back yet. And we get twists on twists on twists. So many twists. It's just a wonderful comic that can be read mostly standalone. Like you don't really need to read anything else to know what's going on in this. Like it obviously helps, but you don't need to. And I think it's one that is a must-read for, for all Batman fans uh, to to have in their repertoire. I know that there is they did a movie for it, an animated film. I've not seen it yet, uh, so I don't know if it's any good. But it's something I might I might watch someday see what happens but Batman Hush is just it's just such a good good story that just keeps you guessing and it's it's got such a good reread value just because of how good it is and how nice the art is like it's it's one of it's among one of my favorites for sure uh, and it's up there in probably my top five Batman stories so yeah next up back in the world of Marvel we have Thor, God of Thunder, uh, the God Butcher arc. So in this arc, it's uh, essentially what we get is three different timelines of Thor, all dealing with the same villain. We've got a Thor before he has Mjolnir, and before he like he still goes to Earth, but not a whole lot. Uh, we have present day Thor, well, mo mostly present day Thor, and we have a future Thor where he's king of Asgard. He's pretty much by himself. He's basically a grumpy Odin. As they take on uh, this incredibly dangerous enemy, Gore the God Butcher, whose goal, it seems, is just to kill all the gods. He doesn't like them. He wants them all dead. And he's killed a bunch of them. Uh, so, and he's, he's coming for Thor, and Thor's like, I'm probably, I should probably stop this too, because you know, a lot of these gods are my friends and my family. Uh, it's been quite some time since I've read it, uh, so I actual nitty-gritty of it is hard to remember but what I do remember is that it was beautifully drawn it was beautifully written and it, it increased my interest in Thor significantly and it led me on to other Thor series that I really enjoyed like uh, a more recent one is King Thor um, the great limited series the unworthy Thor after fear itself when he loses uh, Mjolnir it's just him finding himself again without the hammer and uh, we got Thor volume 3 from the early 2000s with Oklahoma Asgard, uh, just to name a few. But Thor, God of Thunder, uh, with the God Butcher, just it gives you three characters that you would be willing to follow all three of them in separate storylines. It gives you a villain 
that is truly interesting and new. And it just, it looks beautiful. And it ends in just such a, a satisfying way that I would definitely recommend that one to people to read. Next up, back with DC, we've got Wonder Woman Odyssey. So with Wonder Woman Odyssey, we got a fresh start to Wonder Woman. Uh, it was written by J. Michael Straczynski, I believe. I don't know how to say it. That's my best attempt. And uh, essentially what he does is he gives Wonder Woman a complete reboot that took place without any DC-wide world-changing events like the New 52, Final Crisis, anything like that. It's just they just gave it a fresh start. Uh, and in this Wonder Woman, she gets a new backstory where she is an orphan in New York that uh, nobody seems to really remember that she's Wonder Woman. And she seeks to restore everything uh, to the way it was and find out what happened to Themyscira, which has been destroyed and all the Amazons are gone. Uh, so she's trying to do all of this while at the same time her own memory of all of it is mostly gone too. So it's she's also learning how to be Wonder Woman again. Uh, in it, she's got a dope new costume, which consists of pants, a leather jacket, and it's over her usual her usual red top that I think is a little it's a little higher up on the chest now, so it's not as sexualized. Even though I don't think it was sexualized, but you know, you know the gist. Um, she just she looked cool. She looked real cool. Uh, anyway, this didn't last too long as uh, New Fifty Two came along shortly thereafter, and we got another reboot to, to Wonder Woman with a new, albeit still cool backstory, but a less cool costume. Uh, it just went back to the normal one, I think, except it was mostly silver instead of gold and yellow. Um, anyway, the first volume is definitely worth checking out of uh, Wonder Woman Odyssey, and if you enjoy it, I'd recommend continuing on until the changes come. Because it is uh, it's very interesting, and it's a good jumping-on point for someone who hasn't read much Wonder Woman, or even if you're just a general Wonder Woman fan, it's a good, it's a good read. Uh, staying on the J. Michael train, we have the standalone graphic novel, Superman Earth One, the volume one, uh, more specifically, and uh, in which we get an origin of Superman uh, if he existed today, essentially. So it's Superman without any of the G-shucks and the wonders of the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, uh, all of that. In this, we get a Clark Kent whose primary jo goal, Joel, <laughs> His primary goal essentially is just to get paid so that he can support himself and mostly support his mother. Um, we see him flourish in this. Like, he's clearly intelligent. He's going to all these different, like, research firms to try to get jobs. We see him try out professional baseball, professional football, all this stuff. But uh, ultimately, he realizes that's not really what he wants. What he wants to do is be a reporter, a uh, classic Superman. And uh, after talking with his mom, he realizes he doesn't have to, to support her and, and do all that, which is nice. Uh, anyway, so we see him in this story reluctantly, almost, have to step into the role of a hero when Earth is attacked by a new villain named Tyrell, who is from a race of aliens that warred with Krypton for a long time. And uh, Clark kind of steps forward to fight him, especially when he learns that the Earth... Like, people on the Earth are, are kind of corrupt, and that if he doesn't do it, maybe no one will or no one can. Uh, so he comes forward, 
learns what his role is on Earth and he learns what he wants to do, we see him start to become the Clark Kent, the Superman that we know from, from all the other mediums. It's essentially just a Superman year one, I suppose, is a good way to look at it. Uh, anyways, the art in this graphic novel is beautiful. The storyline itself makes sense for like a young man with all this power growing up as like a millennial. Like a young guy. Like any of us, if we were Superman, it's kind of like I would, the same thing I think we would do. But this graphic novel is part of the reason why I love Man of Steel so much because we see a kind of similar thing. Uh, you see some of the similar themes in that movie where you have the what Superman would be like if he was born now or born when we were born and would be an adult now because I don't think making a Superman set today would work if you have him at like Chris Reeves even though Chris Reeves is a great Superman and that Superman is fantastic like you can't act like that it just wouldn't fit and so we see that theme in this graphic novel and we see it in Man of Steel except in Man of Steel we get a Clark who is encouraged to hide whereas in this he decides to hide because he, it ultimately is for the best he thinks uh, yeah and I think that's a lot of why people don't like this and they don't like Man of Steel is because they think it's not Superman but it's it's just Superman with, with, in this era um, which I really enjoy two volumes have followed Volume 1, there's been Volume 2 and Volume 3 of Superman Earth 1, and they are both enjoyable, uh, for sure, but I don't think they really reach the highs that the first volume does. Um, I think they're still worth a read, though, if you do read the first one and enjoy it, or have read the first one and enjoy it. Yeah, um, J. Michael Straczynski, don't know how to say it, uh, he also wrote some incredible Spider-Man runs, uh, but there are way too many to discuss, so I'll leave it at that. But if you go onto like Comicsology or to the Comic Book Store and you get any of his Spider-Man stuff as well, it's always good. And just to close it up, uh, I'm just gonna kind of quick scatter some other ones that I love because uh, I just don't really have as much to say about them, but I just want to put them out there. So we've got Green Lantern: Secret Origins by Jeff Johns. It's uh, essentially a retelling of the origin of Hal Jordan in a new way. Uh, I think because for many readers, they weren't probably overly familiar with him. I know I wasn't, uh, because most of the younger fans were more familiar with Jon Stewart from the Justice League cartoon, or if you were reading Green Lantern comics at the time, you would have been more familiar with Kyle Rayner or Grant or uh, Grant Guy Gardner. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just a a rehash and retelling in a new way of the origin, and you kind of can use it as a starting point with this new volume of Green Lantern and, and hop on from there and still enjoy it a lot. Another one we have is uh, X-Force Volume 3, which turns into X, uh, the Uncanny X-Force at some point. It's just fun violence. It's uh, essentially the, the premise of it is Cyclops and Wolverine decide that they need a team who's willing to do a little more than the X-Men can. So it's just essentially a team of people who are willing to kill and do what is necessary. Uh, the main roster that I can remember from the part of it that I really enjoyed was Wolverine, Deadpool, Phantom X, Psylocke, and Archangel, I believe. And, that, and it was great. Uh, it 
continues, I think there's like 30 or 40 issues with the Wolverine-led team, and I think that's all really good. Uh, eventually it switches and it's led by Cable, and it's less good, I think, but um, it's definitely worth checking out if you like some fun violence. Next up is the uh, limited series Green Arrow Year One, which is essentially Oliver Queen's time on the island, and uh, and if you read this, you can clearly tell how much it inspired uh, Arrow, the show, particularly probably the the first season on the island flashbacks. Um, but essentially, on this, what happens is Oliver Queen, he's a spoiled rich kid. He spends a lot of money in an auction on the bow and arrow for some reason, yada yada yada. Uh, he ends up getting betrayed by someone who worked for him and lost at sea. He uh, winds up on this island where a bunch of bad guys are uh, making opium and selling drugs and stuff. And he uh, learns to survive and he becomes the Green Arrow and uh, tries to save all the people that are there being forced to work for the opium dealers and it's great. It's a lot of fun. The art is nice. Um, it's a good thing to check out if you want to see if Green Arrow is something you'd even be interested in. It's not as humorous as some of the other Green Arrow stuff is, but it's it's pretty nitty-gritty Green Arrow, uh, and I like it a lot. Next up is uh, Red Robin, particularly the Collision story arc, which takes place uh, after Batman, Bruce Wayne, was dead. Uh, air quotes dead tim drake takes on a new identity when uh, dick grayson decides that uh Damian lane's gonna be his robin uh, so tim drake's a little salty and he becomes red robin and he goes around the world doing all this detective stuff uh trying to find bruce wayne and he gets into a little bit of a tiff with uh rachel ghoul and it's very entertaining um especially when you get to a point where rachel ghoul uh, kind of recognizes uh that tim drake is the actual like successor to the detective that is batman like to he even calls him the detective something that he only called batman to that point it's very good it's a lot of fun uh you get to see a lot of uh bat family characters in it and it's it's definitely worth checking out uh, another bat family one that i really enjoy is batgirl volume one which is the uh volume that follows cassandra kane as batgirl in this it's just she's mostly mute she doesn't speak much she's just very good at fighting and you get to see her as she kind of opens up uh learns to love i guess uh learns to make friends you see her um dealing with being raised as like an assassin and trying to to fight that uh, if anyone's seen the birds of prey harley quinn movie they might be familiar with the name Cassandra came from that because she is technically in that sort of but she's nothing like the little girl who steals stuff and ate a diamond that she had to poop out uh in this Batgirl is the daughter of David Kane and Lady Shiva she's been trained to be an assassin since she was a little kid and she's incredibly violent and incredibly skilled and uh, Bruce Wayne made her Batgirl um to try to help her and uh so that she could use her skills for good and stuff and it is very good uh i there if i remember correctly there's two volumes of it with cassandra kane one of them is like a full full run the other one's a limited series af based after um final crisis i believe 
in the one year later uh, arc of like stories. And in that, she's just trying to become Batgirl again after being a villain for a bit. It's weird. It's not as good. But Batgirl Volume 1 was beautiful. Uh, eventually, Batgirl Cassandra Kane is removed or decides to stop being Batgirl. And Stephanie Brown, who at one point was a Robin and was also a spoiler, becomes Batgirl. Still enjoyable. Not as enjoyable, but Batgirl Volume 1 is pretty lit. And that's all the ones that I had noted to myself uh, in my research and trying to remember stuff. I'm trying to think uh, on the moment now if there's any that come to mind uh, as I kind of close on this. I know the Star Wars Legacy comics are quite enjoyable. I read those and I liked them a lot. Um, it's not my, any of my favorites by any mean, but it is still very, very good. Uh, the Green Arrow run where he meets Mia Dearden and she becomes speedy is also very good. Um, he, he Pretty much after he comes back to life because he briefly died. And that was neat, I guess. Uh, I also really like the X-23 run uh, where she has her own solo series for a while and she goes up against Dakin, who is like a Wolverine son. That's pretty cool. But yeah, that's for the most part, that's that's some of my favorites. Um, if something was listed here, I, I think it is worth reading, uh, in my opinion at least, if, if you are interested. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it for this, this topic, for this podcast the technical episode one but really episode two because the test episode is kind of episode one you know how it works um next time will either be uh the first pirates of the caribbean movie if my friend decides to do it or not uh as co-host with me it might be next or uh, a look at phantom menace might be next depending on things uh and, and how my own studies and such outside of this go, because I have an important test coming up, so that'll be interesting. But this was another episode of Eric Mediocre Adventures. I forgot the theme song I made up at the beginning. All right. Thank you. Bye.